every person from almost the moment they were born and really at a young age, they start to have goals and dreams in their lives. And you're also probably at a young age where some of those goals aren't realized. You know, kids who dream about playing at the highest level in sports, like a football player wanting to play in the NFL or uh, a baseball player wanting to play in Major League Baseball, pretty soon finds out that maybe they're never going to achieve that goal. And that can be pretty challenging for us uh, when it comes to uh, our goals and dreams. But the nice thing is, is that God also has goals and dreams for our lives. And life is always better. Life is never wasted when we align our goals and dreams and submit them to God's goals and dreams for what he wants to accomplish. At this time in the message, I would probably tell you a story, you know, of something I wanted to do in my life, a personal anecdote. But you've heard a lot of my stories. Today, I'm proud to have a good friend, friend of our our church family and a good friend personally, uh, share a little bit of a snapshot of faith into her life, how some of her goals and dreams have never been met. But as she's yielded her life to God's goals and dreams for her, she has found the best life imaginable. Check out this snapshot of faith of Kathy Knight. Well, at age four, I decided that I was going to be a cowboy when I grew up because cowboys have fun and it's adventurous. And then somebody informed me that to be a cowboy, you had to be a boy. And that really messed up that whole goal. I was upset for a little bit, but I got over that goal. Then at 12, I decided I wanted to be an astronomer. We had a family um, telescope and I spent countless hours in warm weather and in snow on the ground, watching the stars, and I had a notebook, I recorded things. I mean, I was gonna be an astronomer one day. And that goal um, continued to be my goal through almost all of elementary school until January 16th, 1969, at 10.59 p.m., when Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon. And then, what could be better than being an astronaut? And so I learned what you had to do to be an astronaut. And then I found out there were no women in the program. It was still all men. And they were all test pilots with these big jets. So the goal was to join the Air Force, was to learn to to fly into the space program. And that was my goal for quite a long time. But that also fell short. And um, that wasn't God's plan. There were other plans. Well, now we go forward to age nine. And um, one day of vacation Bible school, a friend invited me one day 
and I committed my life to Jesus. It just seemed so right, but what followed was no teaching. I had absolutely no clue to do what to do with what I had just committed my life to. And nothing really happened until I turned 14. And at 14, um, I learned more about what it meant to be a Christian. We were now a part of a very gospel-centered church. My family was all becoming Christians. And, and it just made more sense how to serve Jesus and how to seek his goals as opposed to my goals. Although as a teenager, it was still all about me, right? So, um, so I still had some, some learning to do. And then one day, oh well, and my goal was still to be an astronaut. So one day um, during my senior year of high school, I had a photography assignment to complete. And in that assignment, I had to go to a second grader's birthday party and film her whole birthday party. And copy of the photos went to her parents, copy of the photos went to my teacher, end of story. And as I'm lining up one of the shots in the middle of the party, there are these three girls swinging on um, some swings. I looked through the viewer and this really small, still voice said, I want you to teach. End of discussion, this is the plan for your life. And from that moment on, that's where I was centered. Because I realized that for the first time I really had direction on where I needed to go. How do I get there? I have a clue. But I knew that that's what I had to do. Um, I started out at the branch campus of the college that I went to in Pennsylvania. The branch campus had one dorm, it had one classroom building, and all of the professors had their, had a long trailer where their offices were. In fact, this was such a small school that we, they actually taught math classes in the basement of our dorm. So um, as an outspoken young Christian, I really kind of out amongst all of these people. Um, there were good times and there were bad times. There was no campus crusade. There was no anything on campus. Um, but God directed me to a Bible study in town for college students and for young adults. And that, that along with learning how to share my faith on campus, um, <laughs> I had a lot of stops and starts, but I began to learn a lot about growing in faith with God and that if I didn't know the answer and I really felt alone on campus, it's easier to turn to God when you really know there's not a brother or sister to turn to. One day I was um, standing outside of my geography class waiting for it to start and I wore a jeans jacket and on the shoulder it said Jesus is alive. <laughs> my professor started in to the classroom and then he backed up and he looked pointedly at my shoulder and said, oh, you're one of those. And I said, yes, I am. And we walked to class. I have a clue who was in my class because I always sat at the first lab table. And he took attendance and then he put everything down and he looked at me square in the eye and said, why are you a Christian? And for the next 20 minutes, I witnessed to the entire class answered his questions, and you could tell he really, really, really wanted to know. 
And at the end of 20 minutes, he said, yeah, my wife's a Christian too. And, and that was just, I had lots of moments like that my freshman year. Lots of, of times of unexpected um, opportunities to share, which began to show me that God really was in control and that there really was a purpose why I didn't start on main campus. And once I got to main campus and I became part of Campus Crusade, then I had some really good teaching and I had some um, some really good examples of how not to knock people over with the gospel, but how to approach them more organically, like we've been learning now to do. Um, I um, I met Dave while while I was there, although we were really not even friends at that that point in time, and I really began to ask. Um, really towards the end of my freshman year, how in the world am I going to get a job? Because I'm entering a field where there are no jobs. The country's laying off lots of teachers. What was I thinking? And very, very clearly, God said, your job is to get through school. There's a job for you. And I held on to that all the way through. Even when my father lost faith for a little while and demanded to know, what in the world was I going to do? And I said, God's told me I have to get through school. He's got the job waiting. Um, I had one really irritating conversation with somebody once, and they said, well, when do you think you're going to get your job notice? And I was just really snivvy back, and I said, the middle of the summer of the year I graduate. And sure enough, July 15, 1977, I was offered a job in a school district I didn't know existed, for a job I had not applied for, and for a position I didn't even know was open. And <laughs> that was not my plan necessarily, but it was the perfect, perfect goal that God had set up to get me started teaching. Once I graduated college and I knew the direction I was going to teach, I knew the direction God wanted me to go, it was kind of like, God, I'll touch base with you when I, when I need to, but you know, you stand there and, and I'll just go ahead and, and teach because that's what I had to do. And I learned, um, as I had learned in college, not everybody actually thinks the way I do. What a novel thought. And teaching showed that not everybody approaches teaching the same way. Um, I had some conflicts with some teachers because I was just out of school. I knew what was up and coming. It didn't matter that they had had 10, 15 years more than experience than I did. And um, a couple of times I was put in my place, nicely, but put in my place. And then I would sit on my couch at night I didn't have a roommate. I lived by myself. I'd sit on the couch at night and think, God, how in the world did that go wrong? You know? And um, I had a Bible study that I had found for single adults, but there wasn't a group of people that I could really talk to about that. So, um, so my, while my first two years was really fantastic teaching, it was really hard. Um, with some of the adult decisions that I had to make. 
you know. At one point, I criticized somebody for a decision, a life-changing decision she was going to make. My mentor, my mentor who had been teaching for like 25 years. And I went home over the weekend and talked to my dad and he says, you know, not everybody looks at things through Christian eyes. And then I felt about this tall and I had to apologize to her. And um, she actually said, she had talked to a friend of hers and said she admired the fact that I could even talk to her about that. And then that made me feel even smaller for some reason. I don't know. It's like humbling, I guess. Um, so I kept in touch with David and we eventually got married, moved around a little bit, Rochester, Maryland. And when we were in Maryland, we actually, our um, townhouse was across the road from Goddard Research Center, which had a fantastic um, teaching center. You could just go in as a teacher and there's all this material laid out for science. It was, um, it was really fantastic. Um, and I worked in a Christian school and again, it was one of those, God, this is perfect. I'm a teacher. I'm in a Christian school. I've got a place for you in my classroom. It's over there in that corner. I'll call on you when I need you. Totally missing the big picture. And, um, and I decided, and David always supports me in these adventurous type of plans, but that was the time when NASA said, we're looking for teachers to go into space. And I wanted to go, and the fifth grade teacher in my building wanted to go. And we talked about it, and there's plenty of time to, to enroll or fill out the application and to submit a lesson plan. Um, and we talked about it and talked about it. And my plan was to go into space. I was finally going to make it to be an astronaut. Maybe not the moon. I could teach from space. That's even a better classroom, right, than, than on the ground. And God's plan was no. No, you're not going to do this. It's just like, but this seems so perfect. And he says, no. And to make it even more of a no, you are pregnant. I said, oh, okay, well, NASA doesn't take pregnant women to go up into space. So that was just fine. And when I told David, he was so nice, but it was like this, okay, we're fine. <laughs> and of course, um, then in January, when they finally, the Space Shuttle Challenger went up, um, we had an assembly. We were all in the auditorium to watch the Space Shuttle. And Judy and I stood next to each other because it was like, Christy McAuliffe is one of us. You know, she's going, she's going to make it. And then it exploded. And the whole room fell silent. And Judy and I grabbed hands. And it was like, there, but for the grace of God, it could have been one of us. I get to watch my grandson a couple of times a week, and so I bring in God and Jesus all the time, and he started to ask questions. Okay, so who is God? And, um, and so who's Jesus? And so that has been fun. And we talked about the rainbow the other day and what the rainbow meant. And he started looking for rainbows every place. <laughs> it was really funny. My first two months of retirement, um, well, through the summer and 
into October, I was in a depression and it was really, really hard to get up and get out of bed because what in the world was I supposed to do now? And I had been praying, what's the direction you want me to go in? Um, um, I was having some issues with my daughter and the thoughts of God just totally flew out of my head. <laughs> it's a family thing, I guess. Um, when you're when you're in the midst of conflict with sometimes with people that you really love and so right now it's been learning to set aside my agenda and to really really you know that feeling when you fall back into the water and you just float and you just assume you're not going to sink to the bottom it's that feeling for me right now of trusting God because left to my own devices things are going such a bad way that um, I'm sometimes it's a moment by moment holding on it's getting better in October I um, started at Aurora house being a um, volunteer there and that changed things tremendously um, working with people who are in hospice it really takes attention off yourself really, really fast and it was, it was much easier to pray about, okay, God, what do I do today? What do I do in these four hours? What do I do with this person who's laying in bed? How can I be a witness for you to this person? Um, and my teammates, you know, in the house. Um, and that actually has been a joy because it takes all the attention off of me and, and my issues and really puts it on something that's bigger and more important. And that's really God's plan. I am so excited for what God has been doing and what God is still doing in Kathy, in the nights. If you haven't had a chance to get to know them, uh, they are just amazing, amazing people. And I'm so glad that she was willing to tell a little bit of her story about the fact that our goals aren't always met. But that when we give our lives to God's goals, our lives are never wasted. And that's one of the reasons why, we've, uh, why we're continuing in our series today and why we started this series in the first place called Missing Church. You see, last week we learned that the church is bigger than we could possibly imagine. And we learned that if church doesn't really capture my heart, if church doesn't really sound like a vision for life that, that I'm interested in, that may be a good indication that I'm missing church. Not my preferences, but I'm missing what God says the church is really all about. That it's his church. And so today we're going to talk about how we can see that the church is bigger than we could possibly imagine. You remember last week we talked about how the church is bigger than we can imagine because it's bigger than our experiences. It's even bigger than the time the church has been in existence since Jesus brought the church to life. And that is because the church was promised far before Jesus ever arrived. You see, the church was promised to a person named Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham and said, I want you to know this good news. I'm not going to tell you the full plan, but I'm just going to give you this little snippet, this little insight. I'm going to make you a promise to build you into a great nation. And he did. 
And people thought that Abraham, when, he, uh, when his line, when his progeny became the nation of Israel, that God had fulfilled that promise. And that's certainly true. But that's not what God meant. God meant something bigger than that. And out of the nation of Israel came Jesus. And Jesus came and he said, I've got plans that are bigger than just the nation of Israel. I've got plans for the whole world. I've got plans for everyone who has yet to be born. To bring them into something amazing. And out of Jesus, we have the church. And so now... We have something that isn't dependent on a nation. It isn't dependent on a geographical location. It isn't dependent on uh, whether you're uh, part of the club or not part of the club. Anyone can choose to be a part of this. It is huge. Much bigger than we possibly imagined. It started earlier than we ever thought because of the promise that God made to Abraham. And the amazing thing about this is, is that the promise continues with you and me. If you've got a Bible with you, crack it open to Matthew chapter 16, or just follow along as we put the words uh, on the screen for you, because there's this amazing thing, this amazing opportunity that we have. If we begin to see what God is doing in the church, and if we align our goals and dreams to God's goals and dreams for the church, then we gain a life that is bigger than we could imagine. We gain a life that is huge. We gain a life that has, well, we'll let the story show you. Take a look at Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, speaking probably for the whole group, said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now just pause right there for a second. Because here we see this amazing reality. Peter and the other disciples that were following Jesus recognized that Jesus was the one that was promised to come out of the nation of Israel to make things right. To help bring God back to his people. To help bring God back to the world in a way where everyone could have access But their understanding of that was limited because they thought that Jesus was going to come and he was going to restore Israel to a place of world prominence. That that Rome would probably be displaced or at the very least Israel would, would rise up and be equal and be a world player again like it hadn't been for a long, 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 long time. And things were going to be great in the nation of Israel. And out of that, there would be this trickle-down effect where all the other nations would be blessed. And Jesus comes and says something amazing. He says this to uh, Peter, verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, the rock. And on this rock, on you, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus made a promise then, and he makes a promise now. To anyone who answers the question correctly, who do you say I am? That was a great question then. And it's the most important question that you will ever ask in your life as well. It's the most important question that I will ever be asked in my life that I will ever answer. Who do I say Jesus is? Do I think he's a good teacher? Do I think he was a a miracle worker or someone who I should really try to model my life after? But if I get this question right, in the same way that Peter gets this question right, and if you get this question right, in the same way that Peter got this question right, if we get this question right, in the same way that Peter got this question right, we unlock far greater goals for our lives than we could possibly imagine. Jesus comes and he says, Who do you say I am? And he asks it to Peter, and he asks it to you and me. What's your answer? For Peter, and for many of you watching, and for many of you uh, who are, are watching the video a little bit later, if you're not joining us alive, here's the answer. You are the Messiah. You are the one that God sent. And you are actually God's son. You are the son of the living God. In other words, all of the evidence we've seen, everything we've known from growing up in the the tabernacles and all the teachings from all the prophets that we've heard each Sabbath as we've gone to worship, this is what we've learned. This is what we see. And you are accomplishing all of those things. You are the fulfillment of a promise that God made. That's who you are. And you are the Messiah. You are going to save us. Restore Israel to a place of prominence. You're going to restore God to our presence. Us into the presence of God. But Jesus' plans were bigger than what Peter and the rest of the disciples thought. And God's plans for you and I, if we align our goals and our dreams to God's goals and God's dream for the one big story of history are even better. Because our problem is we, well, our goals and dreams are simply too small. And God says, think bigger. Dream bigger. Be a part of something bigger. Be a part of what I'm doing, what the living God is doing. By answering this question, who do you say Jesus is? Is he your Messiah? I mean, we know now that 
Jesus didn't come to restore Israel, but to restore all of humanity, to take the sin of every person who ever lived on his shoulders and pay for that sin justly with his death. He died in our place. And then God raised him from the dead. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means that when you and I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we know that we're sinners. But I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe you died for me and I believe that your death paid for my sins. And I choose to follow you. I choose to surrender my life to you. That's becoming a Christian. That's what it means to take a step of faith. And then Jesus comes after Simon's connected all of these dots and after you and I have connected all of these dots and say, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, great. This is what's going to happen. I am going to build my church on you. You are going to be a part of the church that I'm building. We're not going to do exactly what Peter did because Peter got the the ball rolling, so to speak. He was the the rock that got everything started. He was the one who preached the sermon in Act 2 and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came and the church just expanded, expanded, expanded. And God wants to do the same thing through you and I. He invites us To not only experience something being built into us, but something being built through us that we could never accomplish if all we focused on was our own dreams, our own goals, our own agendas. And this is a language of promise. God made the promise and Peter And the other disciples and you and I recognize that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise. And now Jesus, God's son, God in the flesh, is making a promise. And sometimes when the church doesn't really capture our hearts, doesn't give us that vision of what life could be all about, it might be because we doubt God can deliver on that promise. You see, the goals that we have in life are goals of success. They're not goals of sacrifice. But God asks us, think bigger. We learned this in the series in 1 Peter just a few months ago, a few weeks and months ago actually, where we learned that no sacrifice to God ever goes un... never goes wasted. No sacrifice to God ever goes wasted. And if God kept his promise to Abraham and made him a great nation through whom Jesus the Messiah came and people saw that, if Jesus promises, if God's son promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, will not prevail, then you know that he will deliver on that promise because that is who God is. God is a promise keeper. The stories all through the Bible tie into one big story about how God is moving people into this ecclesia, this church, this gathering that's, that's more than just a building, it's more than just a location, but it's a group of people who can unite together regardless of who they are. That you didn't have to become Jewish in order to become part of the people of God. Now anyone 
Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, young and old, it doesn't matter. And that's an amazing reality of what you and I have because of Jesus. And if he can do that, if he can bring everyone together in this one united piece that no matter where they are around the world, if they're followers of Jesus, if they answer this question correctly, they are united in this church that God is building. Imagine what he will build through you. That Jesus says, not even all of the combined forces of Satan himself, of all of hell, will tear down what God is building through you and in you. When you have faith in God's promise to Jesus, when you have faith in God's promise of Jesus, you become part of what God desires for the future. You become part of God's goals and dreams, his vision. And Jesus' promise is to build a people who are united in him, who have a new identity, who belong to him, that all the diversity that you see, that's a good thing because the differences that we have don't define who we are. Our skin color doesn't define who we are. Our social economic status doesn't define who we are. Our education, our vocational success, whether we're married or whether we're single, whether we've sinned uh, a lot or whether we've sinned just a little bit, whether we've had a lot of successes or a lot of failures in life, and no matter what you're facing right now, Jesus is the one identifier. Jesus is the one who makes us one in the church. And he's building a people that belong to Jesus who will then go and bless the nations. In other words, we'll go out and be on the mission. We will have the goals and dreams that God has for the future. Because we want everyone to experience goals and dreams that are far larger than just the ones that they had. You know, sometimes in life, we wonder, will I ever get a job? Will, will I ever get married? Will I ever find that someone? Will, will my kids grow up to be great citizens? What will they become? What if, what if something goes wrong? Will I have health all through my life? Will I have success in business or will I be struggling financially? And those are certainly big problems in life. They're big challenges to overcome. But when we put our lives into the hands of a God who has promised to build his church and we give ourselves to his goals and his visions and his dreams for the future, the same God that promised then is the same God that promises now that the gates of hell will not be able to stand what God wants to build in you and through you as you become part of the church that he's building. So this, God's promise to you, is an invitation to belong to something bigger than you could possibly imagine. Will you accept that invitation? In just a couple of minutes, I'll give you a chance, if you've never prayed 
to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You've never chosen to put your faith and trust and hope in him. We're going to give you a chance to surrender your life to him and follow him. We're going to give you a chance to accept the correct answer that that Peter gave, that he is your Messiah, he is your Savior. But we're also going to pray in just a couple of moments to give you a chance to accept God's invitation to be part of his mission, to be a part of the recipient, to be a recipient of the promise that he is making to build his church. We're going to take a Uh, some time to pray and give you a chance to respond uh, in a few moments. But just before we do that, here's some things, a couple of questions to discuss and reflect. How does the reality of a promise-keeping God help you trust him with the challenges you are facing right now? And how does understanding the nature of the church made up of diverse people who are one in Christ inspire you to value those who are different than you? You know, maybe that might apply to a situation that you're thinking of in your life right now, a circumstance you're in right now, or maybe it's an experience that you had in the church, or maybe it's just current events in the country. How does understanding the nature of the church made up of diverse people who are one in Christ inspire you to value those who are different than you? Let's make sure we're not missing church. That we're not missing what church is all about. Because he has made a great promise. And he is a promise keeper. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this story that you are telling in history. We thank you for this amazing reality that you are a God who promises to solve the greatest problems that we could ever face in life. And that what you promise, you will keep. You did it with Abraham. You did it with the uh, arrival of Jesus and his death and resurrection and the offer of salvation to all who put their faith in him, who follow him. And you give that promise to us that when we align our goals and dreams with your goals and dreams, your vision for the future, then not even the gates of hell can stand and prevail against what you do in us and through us. So Lord, for those who have never had a chance, who have never taken the opportunity to surrender their lives to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I believe that you died for my sins, that your death paid in full the debt that I owed because of my sin, and that God raised you from the dead. I surrender my life to you. 
And I ask that you would help me to follow you and to put your goals and dreams for all of life at the forefront of the goals and dreams I have for my life. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help all of us, whether we just prayed to accept Jesus as our Savior or whether we've been a longtime follower of Jesus Christ to again accept the invitation to trust in the promise that you have given and be on the mission that you have given the church to be on. Lord, would you continue to work out what that looks like in each of our lives? And would you help us to remember that when you promise you keep that you will be the way maker for us as we surrender our goals and dreams and adopt as our priority and accept as our priority the goals and dreams that you have for everyone Lord would you help us to trust you that you are a promise keeper we pray in Jesus name Amen